Well, welcome back to the AC Podcast. This is Andy Steiger. Again, I am joined by Kendra Grabrandt. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me back. It's great to be here. This is part two of our conversation on journeying through the, the scriptures, talking about studying the Bible and how to do that. You know, I, I got to confess, in pastoral ministry, I think it's one of the one of the bigger challenges for both pastors and lay lay folk alike on how do I, how do I study the scripture? Right. And maybe, you know, as we get started into this episode, we're going to be jumping back into uh, the final two aspects of, of just a a way to look at it, a way to look at the scriptures and to organize it. You know, last, last week we looked at structure and context to this week, we're going to be looking at gospel and putting it all together. I, Kendra, what, what, what resources you know, have are you borrowing from and have you found helpful? Yeah, so there's been one resource um, that I kind of learned how to read and exegete the Bible, and they've been influential. I have quite a great relationship with Simeon Trust Foundation. Um, so Simeon, Simeon Trust, is it simeontrust.org? I think so, simeontrust.org. Yeah. Um, and so they've just been, they're uh, a company out of Chicago in the States um, or an organization out of Chicago, um, and they have a whole bunch of uh, videos that they've put together for preachers. Uh, they have a, a men's track and a women's track. And so I, I learned kind of how to read and, and exegete more carefully uh, by taking their courses and then was actually involved at Northview in adapting those courses um, to teach them in a uh, in an in-person setting, not for preachers, but actually just for for normal people, for people who just want to read their Bible. Uh, instead of just being told, you should read your Bible, go read your Bible and then having a Bible that you don't understand or feel too intimidated how to read it. And so we put together this, this uh, curriculum for just helping people understand and have a little bit of a, of a a map uh, for what it involves to, to read your Bible and to understand. And it's not very complicated, but having it explained just makes it, you're like, Oh, that's intuitive. Actually, that makes a lot of sense. It's the way we read anything, but we've just not been taught that we do that with the, with the Bible. Yeah, it's kind of like math, right? Yeah. Like whenever I help my sons with their math, I remember they were in elementary. These days, they don't need my help as much. But when they're in elementary, you know, it's like, yeah. this is elementary math. Yeah. What am I struggling here? And it's just like, well, you just haven't done it, you know, right. it's, or it's been a while or whatever. And and so we, you know, I just got to do a little bit of work and then yep. you can do the math. Totally. And Simeon just had a really great way, the Simeon Trust, of um, putting these these grand topics just in pithy phrases so that as I was learning and as I'm teaching this it was just really memorable and I could always kind of see where I was in the in the process of of reading to understand Um, so they have a really great thing that they call the pathway and you start with this text um, that was written to those people back then. Uh, so you kind of move, think, just imagine like a big square. And so you're starting in the bottom left corner that with the text and then you're moving up to then them, mm. uh, way ancient times. And then you move over to the gospel um, because if these are Christian scriptures, then everything is interpreted in light of Jesus. And then you move down to today. How does all of that other understanding affect how I'm going to read this and understand this and apply so even their pithy little statements um, just really helped me know where I was in that journey of understanding the scriptures to know now what do I do with what I've just read? And so again, if you go to 
simeontrust.org you can yeah. you can get and see this this material that you're talking about yeah which is, which and they, is very helpful it's so helpful and they have little courses even on genre so if you want to learn a little bit more how to study narrative or a little bit more how to study poetry they, they're just great little video uh, courses that you can order i think they're 20 us dollars one of the things that's also helpful about learning these techniques i know this might sound kind of odd but it actually helps not just with reading the bible but just actually how you read other books too yeah and i've actually applied this in my academic work regularly where i've been a part of you know these academic lectures or whatever where people are just reading other people's work really loosely and inappropriately Mm -hmm. and it helps you actually to go no actually this is what the author was talking about you can see that from the structure and context and and I can show you this in other passages as well. Yeah. And there's not, some people like tell you it's so fun doing this because they're like, they're just not even sure. They're just not even used to that. Right. Where, and it's interesting that this idea of just knowing how to read yeah. is is something that we have kind of lost. In, in right. Because it's not exactly how do I read the Bible? Really, one of the big questions is how do I read? Yeah. It's, a, it's a loss of literacy. And so the more we learn how to engage with literature again, actually will become better Bible readers. That is absolutely right. Because I think this is such an important thing to note. It's not like this is a special way of reading. You know, it's almost like this bait, like some sort of like smoke and mirrors here. Right. Right. There's some super spiritual knowledge to read the Bible. And yeah, and that's that's how you read the Bible. It's like, no, no, no. This is just plain old, how do you read? Yeah. (laughs) And what's amazing is when you plainly read as it is written as a book, we actually come to spiritual truths because God chose in his wisdom to give us the revelation of himself in a book. And so when we use the tools of of reading a book, we're actually able to understand, uh, we're not unlocking hidden things, but we're actually able just to understand what's been written and and hear his word uh, clearly. And I'll I'll make just a quick note on that too, that I think Mm. might be helpful for listeners on a, from a theological note. Sometimes when we think about this idea of spiritual you know, we kind of mm. have this idea that, oh, if I if I want to be spiritual or whatever, I got to, I got, it's like this next level sort of mm. thing. And it's like, no, no, no. Remember what we talked about last week where we're just talking about what is the, the theme of the Bible? What, what is the point? What's it leading you towards? Yeah. Right. And, Cause that's what it means to be spiritual. It's just, it's just to do those things. It's like, listen, God created you to love him and to love people and when you do those things, when you're living out the purpose you were created for, yes, that's what it means to be spiritual. Yeah, right. It's not something new. It's just, it's something actually old. It was the way it was intended to be. That's right. In the beginning. So when we read, that's what we're looking for. What is the intended way that we were meant to be? Yeah, it's so and, helpful, Andy. And so that leads us to this third aspect that we want to look at, mm-hmm. and, I, and this is so important, right? When we're reading the scripture, gospel. Yeah. You know, by gospel, we mean good news. Yep. Uh, now, let's unpack that, okay? What, what do we mean by good news, and how is that going to play a part in our our journey in the scriptures, our, our studying of the Bible? Yeah, I mean, we talked about the big story of the Bible, and so there's this great world that was created, and this sin came and destroyed a lot of God's intention, intention for the world. And so throughout all of, all of the scriptures up until when Jesus comes, this, this world is there's promises and there's some hope that it's being restored, but really there's just a lot of brokenness that people are involved in. Um, and so the scriptures are actually quite tragic. They, they record a, a true story about rebellion. And so the gospel really, it's good news because it is, it is the climax. It is the solution. That means then when you're reading the Bible, 
you're going to read some harsh, terrible stuff at times. Yeah. Yeah. And it is helpful, I think, to remember that not everything that's recorded in the scriptures is describing what is good and beautiful in the world. Not everything that's recorded is saying you should live like this. Sometimes it's written so that we can see actually the tragedy and the effects of sin and the horrors that it causes so that we actually grow to hate sin. And so that is, that's a spiritual work, I think, to, to have our appetite, uh, to have like our, our vision of the world the way God says, to say the same thing he would say, that is terrible, and yet we need a solution. So where do we get release from all of this tension? And, and how incredible is that, that God does that through the scriptures in a variety of genres? Yeah. Where you have this same idea coming not only through history, and there are some terrible historical moments where the Bible and all honesty tells you exactly how it is yep. in in all of the horror, yep. not trying to sugarcoat the brokenness of, of evil, of sin in our world. Totally. But then there's also moments of, you know, these different genres of wisdom, literature, and particularly philosophy where you engage, and this kind of throws people where they'll read Ecclesiastes yeah. and go, what am I supposed to do here? Because you're kind of caught off guard by this is the Bible, but this is a person in an existential crisis. Totally. And it doesn't seem resolved. Yeah. 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 And it's just, it's just a hot mess. And yeah. you're like, yeah, because there's a lot of people yeah. that are in a hot mess existential crisis. Yes. And that's part of the brokenness. Yeah, that's right. So what you're saying is so important. It means then that you're going to read people's messes at times. Yeah. It's not necessarily saying, oh, you should be like, him. <laughs> right, right. And so I think that comes or to our, our conversation about what is the Bible. It's not a happy, clappy book of inspiration. It's actually a true report on the state of the world and what God is doing to to right the wrongs. And and that comes through the gospel. That comes through the good news. And and that's where the worship comes in because you're saying, wow, as I read this, I see people are broken, yeah. but I see, wow, God remains faithful. The wonder of his mercy that he would even enter a world that is this destructive and this filled with pain. Now that brings an important point that I think just we got to talk about before we get mm. into the gospel fully, because I know that the skeptic or people maybe who've read through the Old Testament are like, man, what do I do though where God enters into the broken history and gets his hands dirty? Yeah. Right? There's war. There's There's killing. You know, there's... There's destruction. There's all sorts of terrible stuff. And I think it's important for us to remember, like, that's that was not God's plan. Right. And I think it's a part of God's love that I, th I think a lot of us find very disturbing. Mm. It's that God loves us so much, he'd be willing to enter into that mess mm -hmm. and endure the brokenness that, yeah, if I'm going to work through these broken people, it means there's going to be war. Yeah. It means there's going to be lives destroyed. It means there's going to be cities destroyed. Mm -hmm. It gets back to what you said, you know, last week, Kendra. We forget just how bad evil is, right? Just how horrible sin is, and what it's going to ultimately take to destroy it. Yeah, and so it is a huge problem that requires a huge solution. And this is where you read through these biographies in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they tell the story of of Jesus who came and all the work that he did, and and all three or all four of these books, they, they end with this hero, Jesus, this, this good miracle working, wonderfully authoritative teacher dying. And it's super tragic. And there's a huge emphasis on, on his, on his death. And I think that, um, 
the suffering and the death of Jesus three days later, his resurrection and then his ascension, that is the climax of the whole Bible story of this gospel story of the solution um, to the big problem of sin. And it is a ginormous problem requiring a ginormous solution. And Christ came willing to take on that suffering and that death so that he could have ultimate final victory over death, which means he can have victory over our sin and bring true restoration and peace um, into this world. It means then that there are going to be these incredible moments of foreshadowing throughout Mm -hmm. the Bible and these incredible moments of connection and seeing God in the midst of all this brokenness, working all things together for our good in Christ. Because I think about the fact that we're really juxtaposing here Genesis, I think of Genesis chapter three, right, where sin comes into the world. But then you see this moment in the Gospels where Jesus comes into the world, and instead of going into a garden as Adam and Eve, Jesus steps into a desert, but yet endures the the temptation of Satan. But instead of not trusting God, Jesus continues to trust God. Yeah. And we see this go all the way to the climax that Jesus trusts God to the point of death on the cross. Yeah. So he gives his life, and this story becomes reconciled in Jesus that the relationship we had in the beginning is restored in Christ. Yeah. So what but I think some people might be wondering okay but why are you why are we bringing this up? Like cuz now we were reading in Matthew chapter 11 we were reading about Jesus telling people hey, you know, take my yoke upon you upon you and learn from me from gentle humble in heart sort of thing and you'll find rest for your souls and you're like you know, do you take the gospel, Kendra, and apply it to every passage you're studying? Right. So kind of yes and kind of no. So I think in Luke chapter 24, verse 44, uh, Jesus appears to his disciples and he says to them, these are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then this great Bible study starts. And so Jesus starts explaining the scriptures and, and opening their minds to understand. And so in a sense, yes, everything that's written somehow points to Jesus. Does everything very specifically point to to the bloody death and the resurrection of Jesus? No, not in a explicit kind of way, but um, it's all a part of the big story. It's all a part of the big story. So Brian Chappelle has this book called Christ-Centered Preaching, and he has this really great quote that says, Christ-centered Bible reading, rightly understood, does not seek to discover where Christ is mentioned in every text, but to disclose where the text stands in relation to Christ. The grace of God culminating in every in the person and work of Jesus unfolds in many dimensions throughout the pages of Scripture. Our goal is not to find novel ways of identifying Christ in every text, but to see how each text magnifies God's grace in order to prepare and enable his people to embrace the hope provided by Christ. And so he has these four big categories where a text of scripture can either be uh, preparing, preparatory, it can either predict about the work of Christ, it can either reflect on the work that he has done or be a result of the work that he's done. And so in each of those categories, you're going to have different aspects of of the gospel um, emphasized. So it's all pointing to Christ, but kind of in different ways. That's important. What we're, I guess what we're saying here then, or what you're saying here is um, that Jesus is the hero of the story. He's, he's what the story is pointing towards in one way or another. 
It's about Jesus. And because I see this as, as, a, as an issue that we've got to be careful on sometimes because I, people love to do studies on, on Bible characters. Mm-hmm. And I think it can be very easy to go astray when you do that because the Bible is not about a Bible character. Right. It's about Jesus. Right. At the end of the day, it's about Jesus. It's yeah. not about Moses. It's not about David. Those are all characters in a bigger story. It'd almost be like reading a novel and, and you know, making the novel, uh, uh, reading the novel without, without bringing the main character of what the, right. the focus is yeah. in, into focus, right? Totally. It'd be weird. Yeah. Yeah. A creative uh, uh, miniseries, but, but a terrible... <laughs> terrible uh, review of the novel itself because sometimes i think you can you can get also her- hermetically astray yeah. when you do that so like if i try making king david for example this great character a man after gonzo and heart for example and, yeah. and i try to think oh how do i read this in a way that makes david look good it's like well the bible doesn't tell he tells you some things he does good and a lot of what he does wrong yeah so then you have to do some really interesting gymnastics to get around the moral failings of King David when he's supposed to be the one that we aim to emulate. But that's actually not the point of King David. He's supposed to be pointing to Christ. And you see that picked up in the New Testament. Yes. They say, look, look at the lineage Jesus yeah. came from, right? Yeah. He came from David. Yeah. And, and it's interesting, though, because you see with each of the people along Jesus' lineage— were these broken stories. Yeah. Uh, but yet you see all of this redeemed in Jesus. And even the fact that Jesus comes from a broken s- story, I think a lot of us can relate with. On a very practical note, last week we've been looking at Matthew chapter 11, mm-hmm. uh, and we were looking particularly at verses 28 to 30. So walk us through that. Like, how would you do this in a, in a Bible study as you, we've done structure, we've done context, and yeah. now we're coming into the gospel focus of this. What what would you do? Yeah. So I think, I mean, looking at bringing in all of that information from the structure. And that's the other thing is we don't ever want to divorce the previous work that we've done from where we currently are thinking of how to understand a passage. So we have to bring into uh, the conversation what we remember from structure and context. Uh, but because this is this is happening in a gospel passage, so it is in a reflective text. So we're learning all kinds of things about who Jesus is, what he says he's come to do, um, how Jesus helps people see their need of him, and what appears to keep people from not responding to him. And what is Jesus asking people to do even? And so all of those kinds of questions are really helpful when you're in a reflective passage, um, trying to think through, okay, what's the gospel aspect here? So as we look at, at Matthew eleven twenty five 25 to 30, I think the question really means like this passage uh, is asking the question, what do we need saving from? Like this passage is teaching us that Jesus is is saying, inviting us to come to him. But what is it that we need saving from? The problem being addressed, I mean, that we saw earlier was there were so many helpless people, so many people who were harassed and in need. We saw that John's disciples were searching for a Messiah. We saw that there were all of these cities. Um, They were looking for for spiritual stability. And then we see the answer in in this little passage here. How does God save people? Well, in verse In verse 20, just above it, he saves them through repentance. But very specifically in verse 28, we see Jesus saves people when they come to him. And so I think the gospel clarity point here is that when we take on Jesus's yoke, which which actually does include persecution and includes malignment from people who are around us, 
um, that we actually... Yeah, loving people who won't necessarily love you back. Yeah, totally. That this is actually what it means to learn from Jesus. Um, and that's where we will find rest for our souls because there will be a, a, a rest of spiritual um, striving to make atonement for ourselves and to find some sense of stability. I think the real gospel point as we look at the whole context here is is that is afforded to us only in repenting and coming to Jesus. So then are you saying that, yes, Jesus' yoke is light, but it's also heavy at the same time in a, in a way? I think so. I mean, it's spiritually light. Because your relationship with God can be restored simply through faith in Jesus. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so in a sense, your biggest problem in the world is completely taken care of. There is an eternal security. There's also in the moment of hardship, a fellowship with the spirit. There can be great joy and a lack of fear and anxiety, uh, but it doesn't mean a lack of of problems. That we still live in a broken world. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's a bit of an irony. It's a bit of a paradox that you can have problems. You can even have persecution. Um, you will still have to work, but the laboring and the heavy ladenness of you trying to have freedom from your sins is going to be lifted. There's going to be rest in Christ. And there, there is also a sense of rest in Jesus even in the brokenness of this of this world, though, yeah. too, right? And that's part of that paradox as well. Yeah, that there is the challenge that we've been called to love people, and loving people is not easy, right? Right. We, Jesus says, you know, we, we have to love God, but you also to love your neighbors yourself, mm-hmm. and that's not easy to do. However, God walks with us in that, right? We we have the empowerment of the of the Holy Spirit that we are indwelled um, through God, yeah, through the Spirit, and that 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 we do that as co co-laborers. Yeah. But there is this rest though, isn't there in that this idea that there's this hope and, th- and we think about that with gospel, like, mm-hmm. right. This is the mm-hmm. idea of good news, right? That there, we do this with a sense of hope. Yeah. And I mean, it's interesting because the very next chapter, Jesus, there's this whole thing of Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath and Sabbath is this day of rest. And so that, that word of rest is like, well, what kind of rest are you talking about? Are you talking about a really long nap on a Saturday morning? Or are you actually talking about this, this sense that when God created the world on the seventh day, he rested, there was a ceasing of, of these, this hard labor of work that he did. And he just got to enjoy his creation and, and sit back and, and all of creation was, was as it should be. And so there's a sense because we know, we know what happens past Matthew 11 is that Jesus does die and he does raise again and that he is sitting on high ruling the right hand of God. And so we can know that understanding and bring that into, into our reality in that, there is a present experience of of being united to God in fellowship with him through the spirit that we actually do in a sense live in some of that rest today. We we live in that as as Christians. Um which is th- this is an interesting concept that when you uh your relationship with the Lord is restored uh through Jesus, mm-hmm. you're getting a taste of heaven on earth. Yeah. Right. It's that rest. It's that, that rest I, for your soul. Yeah. That rest for your soul. Yeah. That, like your purpose is fulfilled in Jesus. Totally. But it's again, that thing. It's like, yes, but not fully. Yes. And we will have tension. But as we have the, you know, the yoke of Christ, his yoke is easy. 
his burden is light. We will have a yoke and we will have a burden, but it's going to be that of Christ. And there's going to be um, a capacity um, to deal with it because we'll have the power from the spirit to walk, to walk our days out no matter what they look like. Because that's, that's one thing that always encouraged me when I became a Christian is to know that I can't control my future. I can't control if my wife's going to die. I can't control mm-hmm. if my kids are going to die. I can't control if my house is going to burn down or mm-hmm. whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. But I, I can rest, though, in knowing that God's in control, yeah. that God loves me, my relationship with the Lord has been restored, and that all things will be made new. Mm-hmm. And that even if I were to lose somebody I I love, like my, like my wife, for example, mm-hmm. to know that we we don't say uh or my mom or you know whatever like that we don't we're not saying goodbye but we're saying see you see yeah. you soon yeah for those who are in the lord for yeah, sure for those who yeah. are in the lord so it it changes the way that you live yeah because yeah, and haven't you seen this even in the midst of the pandemic this pandemic has really shown where people put their hope and yeah. for a lot of people their hope is in the days they have on this earth yeah yeah, in relationship or even in status, like people's jobs have have gone. Um, people have lost like huge amounts of financial stability, or or flip that people yeah. have their businesses have flourished and they've gained incredible financial security. We have both spectrums yeah, we do. that have happened, and so when we start placing our our hope for security and identity um, in those things it's almost like those things can save us from the problems of this world and the problems that the pandemic has started and the worries that we have and the, the issues that we've left behind, but haven't dealt with. And so as we throw this back into the context of Matthew, um, we see that there, there's all this healing, physical healing of a spiritual reality that Jesus was doing. But then John's he's asking like, who should we look for? Is it you or someone else? Like we're, we're still looking for that security of, of who can save us from all of the problems around us, from where it is that we are looking for for hope and looking for help. Um, and so I think that that is, uh, you know, that is found only as we come to Jesus, that ultimate security. So you, my business can flourish, my business can crash. I can have financial security, I can have financial ruin. And it's actually okay because I have the yoke of Christ and it's an easy yoke. I think in many ways here, we're starting to, go into this second pulling it all together yeah pulling yeah. it all together aren't we <laughs> isn't it funny how it kind of just naturally does this it does yeah, yeah. It, so it feels like four steps when you're thinking through it but as you're doing it they they do kind and they're supposed to be linked and supposed to kind of draw you through to today yeah it is interesting as you're going through the structure then you'll all of a sudden you'll be drawn into the context as you're yeah. drawn into the context you you found yourself in the gospel yeah. even as we were recording this podcast we had just we had to like be careful to stop ourselves because we just wanted to jump right into the gospel oh totally because it just naturally leads right into the yeah. gospel yeah right and that's good christian reading Right. Because we don't just want to do the academic. We need to do the academic work of thinking. Right. But if we stop short of where where is Christ and what does this reveal about about the truth of God um, for our lives, we, we miss we miss the point of why it was written. So let's get into this last portion yeah. of pulling it all together. And maybe a good way to jump into this is just to ask you a question. Uh, what does it mean to read to respond yeah, I've used that word when I've taught this course at Christ City, to read and respond. Because I think what I've seen a lot is a default to just do my Bible reading. 
I read it. I read Colossians. Yay, I read Numbers. And then you close your book and you, you know, you spent a month and you read it. But where do you pause? And I often, like I'm encouraging uh, the women that I do Bible study with is to, to how, how long do you have? 10 minutes? 30 minutes? Do you have an hour? Like everyone's life structure is different. But however long you have, I would say spend, you know, 50% to 75% of that reading and thinking about the structure, the context, the gospel, and then spend 25 to 50% reflecting on it and asking questions of the text to your heart and spending time in prayer. Because if we are only reading and, and filling our minds with knowledge, knowledge is great because we know from Corinthians, knowledge puffs up. And the point of the scriptures um, that, that you actually mentioned earlier is, is that we would see Christ, but also become like Christ. And it is, I think, much easier to read than it is and to find time in my schedule than it is to actually find time in my heart and to slow down my distractions and to actually make myself humble and submissive before the spirit to say, what does this look like? Not just in, you know, Matthew's day when Jesus was talking to, to these to these disciples, but what does it look like in my day as I'm understanding that context? What is the spirit of God working in my context, in my life that I want, that I need to respond to? Mm -hmm. So I, yeah, to read and respond. And I think responding comes through prayer. It comes through meditating, um, picking one big Bible truth. Meditating these days can be so many things. So why don't we define that one real quick? So I think meditating on this means picking maybe one big Bible truth that came out of that passage and having it run through your mind constantly throughout the day. Mm. Not sitting in a whole hum, having that phrase run over in your mind, but actually chewing on it like a big long steak and you're chewing on it and the flavor is, you know, you're tasting it for a long time during the day and hopefully the steak's not in your mouth for hours, <laughs> but the truth should be in your mind for hours and you should be coming back to it and just thinking of, of the beauty. What does this teach me about Christ and thanking him for that throughout the day? That That's Christian meditating. Yeah. And maybe a good way to just juxtapose that is where you get often the Eastern idea is to empty your mind. Whereas yep. This Christian idea is to fill your mind. Yeah. Now, I know that that division doesn't always work. I'm sure there's different ways that meditate people meditate clearly. But this is the Christian understanding of that. We want to fill ourselves with what we're studying mm-hmm. and thinking about those things that we're studying and seeing and asking even God, just saying, God, convict me in those areas where I need to put this to application to work. Totally. Yeah, it can mean working it out through the day. It can mean pondering it in your heart. Um memorizing it is a way of meditating on scripture because you're slowly working on word after word, sentence after sentence. And, and you're getting the scriptures from your 10 minute skim read in the morning before you run to catch the bus to actually getting it deep within your heart so that you can call it to mind. I've had many moments where I've read the, the, you know, the word and meditated on the word and found myself uh, heading to a, my spouse or friend mm. and saying, you know what? I was a jerk the other day. Mm. You know, I don't know yeah. if you've had those moments, right? Oh. Where you're just like, too many. To count. <laughs> the Lord has convicted me. Yeah. Sorry about my attitude last yeah. night. Yeah, <laughs> totally. But that's what should be happening, isn't it? Yeah, totally. So I think there's really, I think in part of the, the reading is the, the structure, the context, the gospel. And part of the responding then is what does it mean for us today? So part of that, I think the big question to ask would be, how is this passage just transforming all of me to be more like Christ? 
So that can have an effect in our in our thinking, in our thoughts. It can have impact on our feelings, impact on our actions. And so one of the things that I think is helpful to ask is what is this passage even teaching me to to love or hate? And do I and why don't I? If if not, like even just thinking, mm. what are my attitudes about the things that the scriptures are saying is a really great way to help responding because now you're engaging as an active reader. You're engaging as a follower of Christ and saying, you're wrestling through the truth. You're not just saying, well, yeah, I know that Jesus has come to me and take my yoke upon you. But the question is, will you? Will you take that yoke upon yourself? The yoke that includes maybe some persecution? Well, why are you nervous too? Why are you hesitant? What What's there? And pray through those things. And that's, I think, now how we get our feelings before the throne of God and, and our thoughts. And we actually start asking him to change us, to be willing to enter into what scripture is calling us to. You know, on, a, on another note with regards, you know, to where people find themselves in particular, I just think about our current cultural moment. I've, I've engaged with different people through this pandemic mm. where, you know, they've, they've almost need, they, it's easy, especially in the day and age that we live to become very discouraged. Yeah. You know, it's easy to lose sight of our hope. And, and so I just really want to encourage people who are listening, you know, it's, it's in these moments, you know, where things are tough, mm. where you need to be in the word because you need to be immersed in the hope that it, that is found here. And they can help us to navigate, uh, difficult cultural waters. Totally. And, and it's actually sometimes even helpful just to see that, man, things were worse. Mm-hmm. Things were a lot worse, mm. you know, and the Lord was faithful mm-hmm. and he was good. Mm-hmm. And to to see how God worked in the midst of the issues that that whether it was the Jews, the disciples, you know, walked through, uh, to know that the same God loves me, hmm. uh, that I can I can trust Him and that yeah. I can come to His Word, understanding what was going on at that time, in light of the gospel, see how this applies to my life. Totally. Now, I, I know that for a lot of people, and I would even just say for myself. Application can be one of the most difficult aspects totally. of a, a study, particularly if, uh, and I'm thinking uh, if you're listening to this and maybe you volunteer at your church as a teacher or mm. you're a pastor and, and you're in a position of teaching, it can be difficult to to go, okay, how does this apply, right? Like what's the application mm-hmm. point? Any any tips and tricks would, would you share Kendra yeah I, I mean I would say up to this point understanding the passage is it we all should be landing on pretty much the same points when it comes to application it's going to be very varied it's there's going to be a spectrum of how the same truth applies to individual people because the word is living and active and, and God is is pursuing each and every one of his people to to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. And so for some people, a passage like this could be deeply encouraging that I'm, I'm running the course, I'm, I'm doing a good job. And so the application would be one of encouragement to keep on keeping on. Some people, th- this passage is going to come and be incredibly convicting, that they're going to realize, you know, as they humble themselves and do some time to respond and, and pray and, and ask some questions of themselves, they're going to say, I've actually been probably pursuing restful activities in an un- 
I mean, there's nothing wrong with restful activities, but I've been trying to find salvation in those restful activities. And I've been neglecting the one who offers me true rest. I've been escaping in those restful activities, thinking that that will give me security and salvation. But Lord, I'm sorry. It's actually, I've been running from you by pursuing restful activities. And so it's not a direct thing that's come out of this passage, except as you think through the context, you can start actually to discern the desires of your heart. And I think that that God could be speaking through that passage to pull people off a certain, you know, lifestyle um, that maybe Matthew wasn't even thinking of, but God in his spirit knows where you are and what you're doing. And you're all of a sudden realizing it is Jesus alone that I will find true rest in. Because here's an interesting application that I I see as well. If we were thinking about, okay, what's our current context? Mm. And you know this well. Some passages apply so easily. They just right. It just happens that everything lines up. Yeah. This is application. Others can be more challenging. Yeah. But I think in this one, it's interesting, isn't it, that you're dealing with a cultural context of a time in history where things are volatile. They are politically charged to the nth degree, Mm -hmm. and the Jews are desperately looking for some sort of religious political leader, Mm -hmm. right, that can lead them against this Roman tyranny. I can only imagine Mm. how stressed out, frustrated the Jewish nation is over all that's going on, and they are not feeling very restful. Sure. And they're hoping desperately that Jesus is going to be this Messiah. He's going to be this leader. Right. And usher in a sense of peace in that, in that turmoil. Right. Yeah. And don't you think there's a lot of application points there with where we currently are. We have our own political upheaval these days. We've got our own frustrations (laughs) and desires for, for leadership of various sorts and everything else where it can be very easy to, find ourselves in need of rest. Mm-hmm. And and by that, I mean very specifically what Jesus is offering here, mm-hmm. that we're looking to place our hope in him and not in the next political leader, right. you know, and not in the destruction of the latest ideology. Yeah. But until, until the Lord comes back, they're not going to stop. Right. It's just going to be this cycle of hopes and disappointments and, and all of that. But as I think we've done the work of of cost, context and structure and gospel, like it's very clear that this is a passage about, about ultimate salvation. Um, and so I think one of like just even asking like your question earlier, how do you help somebody who's who's leading in a church? And, you know, application is so hard. And especially when it's varied, it almost seems a little bit more. It's what it is to you, but it, it's not exactly like there's some, I think, very helpful questions that can help us think of the application out of this passage. Like, what does this teach us um, about about the Christian life? What does this teach me about God's nature? What does this teach me about my need for repentance? I think there's some, you know, very specific kind of Christian questions to ask that help us then think through this passage. And I mean, as we think through this whole passage being about salvation, the beginning part's actually really challenging for me to think that, He's, he's hidden what it means, how to become saved from some people and has revealed that to other people. And yet right after that very black and white, it's hidden from some they can't see, others it's been revealed. There's this call that says, Jesus, the son will choose to reveal him. And so come to me all who are, who are 
laboring and heavy laden in verse 28. And so I can get really, I have family members that, that are unbelieving and I just think, Lord, is it hidden or is it not yet revealed? And I can get all kinds of anxious about the eternal state of my family. And, and this just reminds me, like it is, it is the prerogative of the Lord to save. And it challenges my own heart that I think it's, it, you know, I have a role to play, but I don't ultimately determine their salvation. And it humbles me to actually, you know, urge the Lord to reveal the truth of salvation that they would find rest in him. And so even in that, like it, it's a personal thing because it challenges me from what do I actually think of the nature of salvation and how people can come to Christ um, through my testimony, possibly, but through the work of, of God, who's going to reveal it to their hearts. And actually is revealing it. And is revealing it and giving understanding right. and is inviting all who are weary Right. So if they would just come to a sense of their weariness, they would turn to the Lord. But you, I think that's such a, an important point that there is a there is a really important aspect of rest there that salvation is is not my responsibility. Mm-hmm. It's the Lord's. I co-labor with the Lord. Absolutely. In that mission. Yeah. This great commission. Yep. Uh but uh that ultimately that is that is the the Lord is the judge, mm-hmm. uh, and, and not myself. And so there's actually there's actually a rest that can be found there when I would argue that we see that through the lens of how good God is yeah. in Jesus. Yeah, and I think that those those now kinds we're back of to the gospel again. now we're back to the gospel. But I think it's these kinds of discussions that come out of the question of what's the nature of God. Well, it's in his nature to save and it's in his nature to reveal the truth of God and, and his nature to invite people into his presence. And so then it starts becoming personal when I think, do I believe that? Do I believe that about my brother and about my uncles? And, and so now it's Kendra starts asking those questions about the way I see it played out in my life, but they're questions that are coming directly from this passage. So it's not all of a sudden you do all that hard work and now you just, have amnesia or you just, you know, jump on a plane and fly to another part of the world and, and you leave this behind. It's actually the application is coming directly out of the work, but it's going to be uniquely specific in how I deal with my unbelieving family members or how willing I am to count the cost of following Jesus versus how Andy deals with that. We're going to have different applications, but it's going to come from the same uh, wrestling, the same content of the passage. I think that's helpful. I think We've shown a couple different ways that mm-hmm. you can apply this. Uh, say those questions again, real quick here, that you like to just have in mind as you're as you're doing this. Yeah. So the big question I ask is, uh, how is this passage transforming all of me to be more like Christ? And then in my categories of my thinking, my head, my feeling, my heart, and then my doing, my hands. And so just thinking of the whole person um, under thoughts. What does this passage teach me about God's nature? What does it teach me about myself in relation to God? What does it teach me about doctrine or Christian life? And then in feelings, what does this passage tell me to love or hate? Do I? Why don't I? Mm. What That's so helpful yeah. to really dig into how this is going to apply, which I honestly, for me, I find that's the, the, the challenging one. It is tricky. And I think sometimes too, because we're trained to, to look for the answer in the passage, you know, that these answers aren't going to be found in a verse. Mm. These answers are going to be found through reflection and through th- 
thinking and maybe even half an hour later as after we're in prayer, asking God to expose our hearts to us because sometimes we don't even know our own our own ways. Yeah, that's great. As we close, I think something that might just be helpful for those that teach uh, is just some real practical advice here on communicating this truth, how, how to lead a Bible study sort of idea. What, what's just some advice that you would give on, because, you know, one of the things we talked about is reading your Bible on your own. That's great. But, yeah. but you know, it's, it's good to read the Bible in community. Yeah, it's super good. So what kind of advice do you give on reading the Bible in community? During the the pandemic, um, I started a new job in the middle of a pandemic and I wasn't with people in physical community, um, didn't know these people at all. So I led formal Bible studies on Zoom. So we had a structured time where we got together, we would we would read, I would teach on it, um, and then the women would do their do their prep work and at home during the week and we'd come back together. So I think that's that's one option is to really make it formal, really intentional where there's um, an expectation that you're coming prepared and there's there's sound teaching to kind of bring it all together week by week. But I think it can also happen um, in smaller groups. I've been part of just, you know, really unstructured groups or less formal groups, but still had a structure where a group of friends and I decided let's just read let's just read the Bible. So we would get together every couple of weeks and we would just, we were like, let's read through all the gospels together. And we would just read out loud together. We wouldn't really do a lot of, you know, Bible studying, but we just wanted to hear the word. And so I think if you're in a church where you don't really have formal groups set together, just read. It's been tricky in the pandemic because we've really been far apart, but uh, there's been ladies in my church who couldn't get together, but they would read and then they'd go on a Zoom call and just talk about what they've been learning. They would ask questions. Did you, I have a question about this. Did you think through this? Can you help me understand? And so there's just a real sense of, you know, you're not alone as you're trying to read the Bible. And I think that can be really helpful to know that you have people that are tracking at the same pace as you. Um, I think another thing that's really important you know, for teachers and preachers is to exegetically work through the scriptures. I mean, we've been talking at home, read through a book at a time. And I think there's a lot of value as you're up front leading people is to actually model that and show people that this is how you work through a whole book. And there's a reason for it because it was written this way. And so topics can sometimes be useful. Um, There can be times when we need to delve into a topic and see what the whole of scripture says. But even to do that in an exegetical way where you're taking into account the context and the structure where it came from, otherwise we really can manipulate words and do whatever we want with words. And so we want to be careful, I think, as teachers and preachers. And I think it just should be obvious by now that showing how you study the scriptures, mm-hmm. it just lends itself to being preached exegetically, yeah. right? It In its context, in its structure as yeah. a whole, uh, just makes sense. I mean, if you're going to try to parachute in, you're going to have to do a lot of work. It's actually a harder. Yeah. I've done a couple of topicals at women's Bible study and I'm like, whoo, this is, this is a lot more work if I'm trying to be faithful to the text than just exegetically uh, working through a whole book. Yeah. Andy, do you have any things? Cause you've, you've preached a lot more. One thing that I've shared with people and has been of help is to just take some of the pressure off and just realize that you don't have to be perfect when you preach. Yeah. Some people try to be perfect in their preaching, and that can lead you 
down a road where it becomes very wooden because you, you're tending to want to mm-hmm. read and wordsmith mm-hmm. everything you say. Right. And you lose a lot of the humanity in doing that. Mm. And so it can just be freeing to know, listen, like you're having a discussion with human beings, so be human and it's yeah. okay <laughs> to not do it perfectly. Yeah. And, you know, make you know, have some pause fillers along the way and, and screw up a little bit, but that's fine as you're as you're helping them read the Bible and you're doing that with them. So that would be that would be an encouragement. This is also an encouragement. And this one might surprise you, Kendra. That I would I would argue that I lead a community group. I've done so for years, and I'm like a community advocate, as you this know. This is true. I do know this. <laughs> <laughs> and I would actually argue that um, studying the Bible is great and important, but you don't always have to study the Bible. Yes, it's easy to lose sight of again of the humanity yep. if you think every time we meet. We have to study the Bible, mm-hmm. but that actually it's good just to be with people sometimes. And sometimes people just need you to listen to them and they need mm-hmm. you to pray for them. Mm-hmm. Now that now where you can go astray the other way is then you never study the Bible. Right. Right. So there's a balance to be struck where I would say nine times out of 10, our community group is studying the Bible mm-hmm. together and praying together. Mm-hmm. But there are times that we just have a barbecue. Yeah. That we just come and fellowship together yeah, totally. and talk about the year and the things that we've studied and just have a time to reflect. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there might be a middle in there where reading the Bible together is different than studying the Bible. That's a good point. And I think that there is like the, t- the course that I did for our church, I called it how to read the Bible. Because if you want to study the Bible, come to my Bible study and I'll teach you some, some extra tools that are going to be more in depth and more time consuming that are going to help you do all these things just more deeply and efficiently. But how to read, like, I just want people to be reading the scriptures. We cannot know our God if we are not opening up his word and reading it to hear what he has said and who he's revealed himself to be and what he's done in the world and how he wants us to respond in faith to him. And so there's many problems in our day and age, but one of them is just that, you know, people who who say we love the Lord and are part of all of these aspects of life in the church we actually don't know the scriptures. We don't know why we believe what we believe. We don't know how the flow of the story goes. And so if we don't know, you know, the the flow of the big story of, of God's word, the book that we say we base our lives on, we're going to have some pretty rocky times when, when trouble comes our way. And so... Or if um, somebody's teaching things that actually aren't true. We're not going to have any amount of discernment to know, I actually don't think that that's faithful to what the scriptures say. And so the more familiar we are with this story, just by reading it, not even by studying it in depth, the better we're going to just grow our appetite for desiring to know, to know our Lord and to worship him. Um, Can I add two more things for, for preachers and teachers? Um, One I would say is, is a sense of just submitting to the intended meaning of scripture. So in order to do that, I would say, start early. Don't write sermons the day before. Because you're the time pressure and the clock, and you're just going to write what you need to write to get it ready. If you give yourself some buffer, you have time to take your preconceived ideas of passages, which we all have. We can't get away from it, but it gives yourself some time to sit in that kind of crock pot and let your ideas percolate as you look at scripture and say, are my ideas on track or not? And you can give yourself some time to recorrect some of your thinking. I would say a a week at least. And I know some preachers yeah. even do two weeks. Yeah, which is a, a huge, like if that's not your routine, that would be a huge shift. Yeah. But it, it allows you then to come 
to come to the scriptures with a posture of humility and that if you see that you're thinking on a, on a track that the authors weren't thinking, you can, you can correct, you can change course and actually submit to where scripture's leading you. Cause you're not going to be like, well, in two hours I'm up. And so this is, I, I, and the Lord is gracious. Like, I think the other thing is have confidence in the word of God. He has given it to us as a gift. And, and I think, um, he, he is very intent on accomplishing his work. That's a great point too, in that remember when you're preaching, this yeah. isn't your authority. Yeah. This is the, the scripture's authority. Yeah. yeah. And so rest in that, do your very best, but also do your best. Like you can't do more than your best. And so trust actually that, that God is working in and through you uh, to edify and equip his church for his purposes. That's great. Thank you so much for uh, joining us as we talked on reading and journeying through the Bible. It's been fun to be here. Thanks. Listen, we hope that this has been a blessing to you. Thank you, everyone, for for joining us. Kendra, thank you for joining us. It's been great to have you. Absolutely. Listen, we will be coming back next week with more things to think about. We will see you then.